You know, people always, from the beginning of time, have tried to make sense of themselves and their surroundings. There often is some sort of God who gets the credit for starting things rolling. In this place where we live, this place of astounding beauty, there is much history that includes gods, both old and new. Around here, the gods of the Vikings and the Druids seem to fuel the imagination and spark the creativity of folks. Long ago, people crafted representation of the spirit gods that they worshipped. The representatives or representations of those gods looked like created beings, men or women. Or they altered the creative appearance and put heads of birds or animals on the figures of people. Long ago, people sought to give them a form to their perceived God and the nature and give him names and domains. Those long ago people who lived where we now live, like ancient peoples everywhere, they were working on answering the questions of why and how. They wanted to know and understand their story. They wanted to know and understand the world that they shared. And they responded by imitating or inventing. Local history, though ancient, was not the first to include attempts to make sense of the world. In the 15th century BC, ancient peoples began to record religious ideas of all sorts. In that long ago time, a very special story began to be recorded. The one true God prepared a man, Moses, by taking him from his birth home where he was a newborn slave and putting him in the palace of the Egyptian pharaoh where he learned to read and write. That man, Moses, reluctantly took the role of representing his Hebrew slave people society before Pharaoh, leading that enslaved people away from Egypt towards the land of freedom their God was giving them. Moses wrote down a spectacular story, and today we can read it in the first five books of the Bible. Those Hebrews were the chosen people of the one true God. They'd gotten themselves in a fix that lasted 400 years. They had become slaves, basically part of this government complex that created cities and images and tombs and all kinds of things, some of which we can still see today. I remember one time in 1988 when I was deployed, in other words, visiting Egypt for the United States Air Force, I was able to go down to Luxor and walk around in a temple that was started to being built before Abraham was born. It was that old. And across the river we could go and we could see what's called the Valley of the Kings. Think of From the beginning of when Luxor was being built, you move forward another 600 years to get to Moses and when they're starting to write things down, not on walls, but in 
papyrus in documents that can be stored and transferred and copied. But what Genesis really is, the first book of the Bible, is the gospel presented to these tribes of slaves, these children of Jacob who was renamed Israel. The story starts at the beginning. It helps people, though long ago, slaves, and for us today who often might feel like slaves, like we have no control over our lives, understand our place in the grand story of everything. What would become the story arc of creation, fall, and redemption? The Hebrews were coming out of 400 years of slavery, of hearing the false gods of Egypt in their stories. They needed to relearn the truth. They needed to know that you did not need to invent your own story. We need to know that we don't need to invent a story. Not then, not now. Last week we looked at the endings of stories. Today we're going to look at the first few words of the story of the one true God, the story that begins in the beginning. What's special is the story is one of a redemptive journey. And in our sermon series, it's going to be under the title of the covenant. And the covenant, very simply, and we'll expand this definition, but very simply at the beginning, a covenant is a sovereign relationship sealed in blood. And in the Genesis story, that blood is redemptive blood. That God seals it in redemptive blood. As he moves his people out of slavery, he wants them to understand who they are. So now we're going to start in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is one of the earliest memory verses I remember from the first grade when I was seven years old. When you think about that when you're in first grade, you know, you kind of look around for those short verses you can memorize. But this is a verse that has been part of my memory through King James, through New American Standard, through NIV and now the ESV, through all of these, you know, those original memory verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is how God starts his story. This is an idea that would be captured by the early church in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's the way it starts. That's the way the Apostles' Creed, those people who said, how are we going to say publicly who we are and what we believe? And they started with creation. Because the Bible starts with creation. You see, you can't take, in spite of what modern people, censors, or whoever, you can't take a black magic marker and censor out Genesis 1, 1, and what follows. You've probably heard the story of the third American president, Thomas Jefferson, who 
literally took a pocket knife and went through his Bible and cut out passages he disagreed with. That Bible is still existence and it's still, you know, you can look at it. Yeah, he did that. He wanted to create his own version of the Bible of how he understood things. But yet this book of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's like pulling back the, the curtain in the sense that we get the ultimate backstory of where does our story begin? And God pulls it back. And one of the things that we need to recognize in the context here is G-O-D, God, is the, and I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. Remember last week how I said agape and other words were were popular Greek words? Well, Elohim is one that is in Christian popular songs, but it's a word that means God. It's translated God. And that would have been unusual because it shows that in the Bible, there never is any polytheistic God's thought. In other words, everything is about there being one God. Now, he is the creator. And in this sense, and in the sense of the words that are used, it means creating something out of nothing. He created... Twenty-seven says he created man in his own image, the image of God he created him. One of the things that we, we need to see in chapter 1, and when we think about being made in the image of God, the image of God that we see demonstrated in chapter 1 is that he has created creative, imaginative people. When you think about how God is presented, he is the creator. He creates out of nothing. Imagination, being able to think through something, think up something, see new designs, new concepts. Now, I find it interesting that in chapter 4 of Genesis, when he's talking about Jubal, he says he was the father of all those that played the lyre and the pipe. That he points out musical creativity. And then there's this guy named Tubal Khan, or Cain rather. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. See, again, I like that because my the man I named after was a, was a blacksmith. And he was in a line of blacksmiths that came from England. Um, this is on my mother's side. But he has a three foot by three foot warrant signed by Queen Victoria 
Because if you were a blacksmith, you worked with metal and you could make weapons. And they wanted a registry and to give out permits to anybody that could work with metal to do that. Now my grandfather, evidently his business was he made wagon wheels and sleigh runners. He lived in upstate New York, so you can imagine you had a lot of need for you know, metal sleigh runners. Um, I don't know what kind of, you know, your, what your sleigh runners look like here, but I've seen sleigh runners and it's like, wow, getting that just right or making perfectly round wheels. But here's the guy that gets the credit for starting all of that creativity. See, when we look at God and, and the way it's, he's described is that we learn that he's a person. He has existed from all eternity. See, that's one of the things that we, we struggle with, is how do we put our concepts onto who God is? We're going to talk about that in, in the next part of the sermon. He's got supreme power and wisdom as he creates things. The word literally means power and wisdom. When we think about heaven and earth, we think about that he has created everything, the totality of everything that exists. And the idea of creating them out of nothing is contained in that simple sentence. Now, we live in an age where many people believe that matter and energy alone are eternal. Now, we're not going to go into, I mean, I, I, that's, that's a wonderful thing to have a conversation um, and to think about. But the Christian point of view is that God alone is eternal and he created everything. And that's where it starts. That simple first sentence. Now, in staking a claim to all creation, it's not just the parts. Even the dark parts that are misunderstood. Verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness, water, and chaos, which is another way to describe form without form and void, those were basic fears. You think about the whole religious spectrum in Egypt was about would the sun come up tomorrow? Because they were afraid of the dark. But what God is telling us here and what God told the, those, those Hebrews was that I created the darkness and I created darkness before light. <clears throat> Now water with the flooding, they depended upon that and there were storms and I'm not sure how much in their period because it would have been maybe 600 years earlier, but Egypt and other parts of the world went through what we know archaeologically to be a 200-year drought, the absence of water. They even had a god for chaos. Which is why I think God kind of sticks this in there when he's describing the pre, what I call the pre-week 
creation. So when, when you think about, you know, when we, we think about chaos, uh, and some of us just think sometimes we live in controlled chaos, or the more practical thing is that you're hurting cats. But he wants us to know that even chaos is not beyond his creation and his control. When we can't connect the dots, when we can't figure out the roadmap, with all the things that we struggle with, that so we say, you know, I just, it's just so chaotic. It's unorganized. Because we like organization. We struggle with mystery. Now, when we get to verse 3, the beginning of the week, you've got darkness, water, chaos, okay? The first thing he says, and before we even get to that, we have to look and hear what Moses, in writing this, says, and God said. Because when we say that God created everything out of nothing, he spoke it into creation. And that was one of the things that we, that that is so wonderful about God is that he can communicate with us. We're going to look at that in a minute. But God said, let there be light and there was light. See, light was created without a source. God's present as light. When you look at the use of light in, in the, book of, the books of Moses, the Shekinah glory, when you look when the light comes down, when God is saying, this is my son, when the tongues of fire come down in Acts, that light representing God. Because after all, it would be those, that flame and that cloud that would lead Israel for 40 years. See, it wasn't until day 4, in verse 14, when God said, let, the lights, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Verse 18, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness, God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning. The fourth day, darkness was created first, followed by light. So biblically, when you look at it's night day, because he created darkness first and then brought light into darkness. Now, just as kind of a freebie fact is that one of the things that is different in the seven days of creation it stands against the 10-day week the Egyptians had and still have. That God says, here's how I have organized time in seven days. And it's different. See, it's communication into creation, not manipulation. When you, when you look at the passage, starting at verse 4, 
God said, God saw, God separated, and God called. Now it's interesting that last part of God calling is that that is something that that naming is something he will give to those made in his image to name the animals. But all of these things, God said, God saw, God separated, God called, are all things that a person does. See, the passage is making him personal, that he does communicate. When we think about Christianity and its fundamentals of what we say or the bottom line is that one, God is there, and two, God communicates so that we can understand. Now we believe, we could have some interesting conversations about this, about the importance of being able to accept verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. To say that that is a true statement that describes what happened and who God is. The last thing I want to look at is the end of verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, just as to get you to pay attention to the text, all of those ands that you see, you know, that's just one letter. And so you, when you're reading the Hebrew text, you see it. It's like and 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 and. It's this sequence that's tied together. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What's going to hover over the people of God when they go for 40 years out of Egypt? God is going to hover over them in a cloud and then in fire at night. That God could have a relationship with his creation and not stop being God, not stop being infinite, that he could be the spirit of God. No image. But he would give us something that we could see and follow in that. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It's interesting that he chose waters and not the chaos, not the darkness. But he was there. Because what's Genesis going to be about? We're going to look at the fall next week. But it's about God walking with and man being with, men and women being with God, being pushed out, then being called out. So that when we get to Genesis 12, in the beginning of the covenant conversation, we see Abram and his family following God. Now, as I said at the beginning, you know, people have always from the beginning have tried to make sense of themselves and their surroundings. They've got the questions of why and how. They want to know how to understand their story. They want to know the world that we share. What, what is it? Now, 
Genesis and the rest of Scripture helps us understand what those long-ago slaves and we today who often feel like slaves, to understand the grand story of everything, what we're going to look at as the arc of the story of creation, fall, and redemption. Last week I told you how our neighbors will want to know if this works. Each of us needs to talk to our neighbors and our friends about creation, fall, and redemption. I will tell you a vignette that happened to me this week. I was in conversation with somebody that Celeste and I know. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, she brings up baptism. And says, what do you believe? Now, that is not a question I get very often about Christianity, but very pointed, very concerned. Her boyfriend had a a view of baptism. She wanted to know what mine was. So I'm sitting there trying to compress all my education, all my training, all my Bible study, all my knowledge, and say, how do I get there? And when I said, well, this normally takes an hour's discussion or teaching, but I said, basically, it's an act of faith to respond When Jesus says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a response to Jesus Christ. And so I said, the issue ultimately is not about baptism, it's about Jesus. It's about you making sense of your life in relationship to Jesus. We live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world. But yet we need to remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's part of the foundation of Christian faith. John, in his gospel, begins with Christ's part of that, of the beginning, and also the eternity of Christ and light. One of the things as Christians that we need to see, and you see a number of churches reaching out to arts communities and people who are creative because God is a creator. People who write music or other kinds of writing or arts. Um, And the thing about the arts is that it's not just urban areas where you find artists. And so reaching out to people who we can show respect to them because of their art and we can say, I know why you are creative because you're made in the image of God. You are expressing something God put into you because you are in his image. Now his story is written down for us to read and study. One of the things that we need to say is that when God put up those three, darkness, water, and chaos, that we do not need to be slaves to fear. I know from my own personal experience, because it was when I was in my mid-30s that I really began to identify what my fears were. My two fears are fears of failure and fears of rejection. Those are the fears that I understand are part of who I am. 
But see, we don't need to be afraid because God has created us in his image to not live in fear because we are redeemed, reconciled, adopted, and free. Now, next week when you come back, we're going to find out how this perfect, wonderful, creative world that God made fell. That's the word that we describe when it, it broke, when evil entered into it. Now, again, in one sermon, we're not going to be able to tell the whole story. See, that's one of the wonderful things about the Bible is that there is so much more. And that sermons are designed to get you thinking about your life and your relationship with your neighbors. And to keep learning. To keep reading and studying. Whether you're in junior high, high school, college, starting a family, grandparents. Is there a post-grandparent stage when you become a... I mean, my mother has great-grandchildren. and That's all she's got, right? She just added number 53 to her tribe because one of my nieces and her husband went to India and adopted a young boy whose name is Samuel. And of course, in our family, everything's done on Facebook, so you got to see all kinds of things. And this wonderful little boy that is now a part of our family that's been adopted into what I call my mother's tribe of 53. So come back. Because unless we understand how far we have fallen in God's created world, we are not going to be in awe and glory when we find out what redemption is. See, the modern world wants to deny the first part of creation fall redemption. It is a personal God who is eternal, who created everything. Father, we thank you that you have given us your words. We thank you that you have told us true information about who you are. Father, this is but a small sampling of the whole creation story here in Genesis 1. But thank you for these words. Help us to see you as the creator. Help us to be in awe as you take care of our fears. Help us to celebrate the creativity you have put in people. Because you are the creator. We pray these things, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.